don't really like being defined by other people, do we? Have you ever had anyone in your life tell you, oh, I know what you're got to do? Or I know who or what you're got to grow up to be? People seem to put a kind of a, a label or a box or a ceiling or a glass ceiling and say there's only so high that we're going to be able to go. See, I think we have this natural human tendency, and I don't think this is wrong, but to not like when there are other people that try to say, oh, I know, or that they know everything about us, that they know our limits, what we're capable of, what we're not capable of. And historically, if we look back, we can see that even as the size of the box kind of grows, or even as the ceiling perhaps gets a little bit higher, the box is still there. The ceiling is still there. It's always existed. We see this in the culture at large. We see it in the workforce, where even though it has improved, there is still disparity, there is still inequality. We've seen it in the church with questions of who can be ordained. Can women be ordained? Can people of different ethnicity or skin color be ordained? Can people of different identities or orientation be ordained? The specifics of those questions have changed, but the question of how big is the box, where's the box, how high is the ceiling, those types of questions have always existed. And our own dislike when those limits are put on us, I think that's always existed too. Our story today has a lot of boxes in it, both literal and figuratively. In Genesis 1, that we heard the bulk of it with Marcia's reading this morning, about Pharaoh's decree, where the Hebrew people, the slaves, are getting too numerous, and Pharaoh basically wants all of the babies to be killed upon birth. Then we hear the story of two amazing and courageous midwives, Shifra and Puah, and Pharaoh found out that the midwives were not obeying the order. So then he wanted his guards, his army, to go out and to kill all of the newborn babies who were boys. Moses' mother famously put him in a basket in the Nile where he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, who rescued him, and as fortune would have it, thanks to Moses' sister, we find out her name later in Exodus, who rescued him, and helped rescue him, made sure he was watched over to be rescued, And then said, I know someone who can nurse the baby, and recommended the boy's own mother. But I want to pay special attention to how today's reading ended. As we've been focusing on names this past month, we have that Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Think about how perfect of a name that is for Moses whose name is a variation of the verb meaning to draw out. So his name being one to draw out, for coming out, for almost literally being taken out of a box, right? A a basket's a, a type of box, right? It's a pretty box. So literally being drawn, taken out of the box, put in a position very unique to what any other Hebrew person would have experienced, being raised in Pharaoh's family, And then think about one of the most well-known stories of Moses, parting the Red Sea, literally leading a group of people who would be a nation to come out of the water and through the sea to a new promise, to a new land, to a new life. 
If that's not breaking out of the box, I don't know what is. And the thing with Scripture is the more you read and the more you reread, the more we're able to get out of it. It's kind of like re-watching a good movie that has a big mystery in it where the suspense is building up. If we watch the movie again where we already know what's going to happen, suddenly we start picking up on all these little clues that we missed the first time we watched it. Have we had this experience before? I'm looking for nodding heads, make sure we're awake. Who's sleeping back there? We've experienced this. Ben, wake up. He raised his hand. He asked for that. All right? It's like, it's like re-watching The Sixth Sense and being like, oh, I see what's happening here now. Right? We hear a lot of, oh, now I get it. Things that we didn't know the first time because we didn't know what the end was going to be. Scripture is full of those, oh, moments. But it only happens when we reread and reread and start to make all of those bigger connections. So back to the story. So Moses is then raised as an Egyptian. And the next story we have in Exodus 2 is Moses murders an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave. If you look at Scripture closely, Moses initially hid the body and thought he got away with it and was got to continue on his life. Then he heard some other Hebrew slaves talking. They're going, we know what you did. And he goes, oh, if they know, Pharaoh's got to find out. My life's in danger. I'm going to run. So Moses flees. And then he met in a big family. He got married to Zipporah. He became a shepherd, kind of took on the father-in-law's business. And that's where we'll pick up our story today in Genesis chapter 3. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. This is another one of those kind of re-watching or re-reading scripture. There's another very famous here I am. Here I am, send me in Isaiah 6. So we see this being a repeated thing, a part of the call to the prophets, where the prophets then respond, here I am, saying it's like roll call, where we're not trying to hide or avoid the teacher's gaze. We're saying, I'm here. I'm right here. What's interesting when this story is Moses didn't know who was calling him yet. And still said, here I am. Isaiah knew who it was. Picking up in verse 5. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Our last three weeks of stories, right? Putting these things together. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. 
And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Remember last week when Jacob's, What's your name? What's your name? And the stranger wouldn't tell him. Moses has the same question. What's your name? And this is the first place in Scripture where we hear God's name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. There is a lot of richness in this passage. We won't have time to get close to covering all of it, but we are going to hit a couple of the highlights. Back when I was in seminary in San Francisco, we had a student coffee shop. That was also a gathering area with couches and chairs. And the coffee shop was called Holy Grounds. Get it? Oh, Ben, you don't like that? Oh, man. Anyway, this story always bring me back, brings me back to holy grounds. But one critical thing to remember on this story is Moses was just at work. That's how the story starts. Moses was at work. It was a Tuesday. He was just going about his day. He wasn't expecting to encounter God. Yet God was clear that as they had that encounter in that place, that land became holy ground. It's in the encounter with the other, with the holy, with God, that we are standing on holy ground. Now, we teach and we believe that God is everywhere. And if holy ground is a place where we encounter God, and God's everywhere, that means there's a whole lot of holy ground around us, right? That means holy ground can be at work. It can be at the grocery store. It can be at the doctor's office. It can be in the parking lot or the playground, or you get the idea. And when we encounter God, especially in an unexpected time or place, when we go, oh, I am in a holy ground moment here, it can come, and it often does, with an unexpected call. Moses received an unexpected call at an unexpected time in an unexpected place. And Moses asked, who am I? Or as we may say today, I think more commonly, more colloquially, why me? You know that? 
Moses, go back to Pharaoh, the one that you fleed from in fear of your life. God, why me? Why me? I think that can often be our responses to those unexpected calls. Go, this was not in my calendar. I don't know if I have time for this. The story goes back to 2018, fall of 2018. I was at a clergy gathering, and we were in a beautiful area, the western kind of mountain area of North Carolina. I forget exactly where, like west of Asheville. And I made the mistake, I didn't realize at the time, of saying that I liked cycling. I liked to ride my bicycle. And for me, it's just kind of a casual hobby. You know, if I went 10 or 15 miles, for me, that was like a long ride. But I said, hey, I like to ride my bicycle. Like, that's the thing I do to be healthy, as we were kind of sharing that in a group of pastors. Uh, had another pastor follow up saying, hey, I saw you like to ride your bicycle. You know, I'm kind of into cycling and I'm looking at starting something. Are you curious? And I was uh, naive, and I said, sure, why not? So I got on the list. I found out through some paperwork, filling out for some forms, each step, figuring out what actually am I signing up for, that I became a part of a group of four clergy. Uh, one of the clergy cycled competitively in college and continued cycle. We're talking like, like, hey, we're going to do like a 90-mile race today and do 4,000 feet of elevation, and I'm going to try to get a personal best time and see if I can go pro sort of cycling, right? Like, he had five bikes that cost more than my car. Like, that's what we're talking about. Uh, another one was a triathlete who complete, competed every weekend, literally wrote a book on how you can do, like, triathlete stuff, and how that works into like your faith. Like I have the book, it's in my office if you want to borrow it sometime, let me know. And then the other guy is like, oh, I just cycle competitively. I only do like a hundred mile rides like once a month or two. Like he's like, he's the casual one. And I'm there like, I like to ride by the lake sometimes, you know. Um, but when I really saw that I was in trouble as we ended up getting a, getting a group together and talking about plans, and I'm not going to tell this horse whole story today, but let me know sometime. We'll have a coffee, and I'll tell you the whole story. But I first really knew I was in trouble. I started to learn their backgrounds, and then I saw the name of the group, which was on our application form. We got a grant through Austin Seminary, huge thing out of it. But the name of the group, I'm just going to spell it. Capital L, apostrophe, capital A, L-P-E, space, D-U, space, Capital F-O-I. Does anyone here speak French? I didn't. I had to Google it. Because they all knew, they knew what the name of the group is. So this, the name of the group in, in French, translated to English, is the Alps of Faith. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it in French because that is not a language that I know. But when I saw like Alps, like when I saw the name of this group I'm now a part of, and didn't know how to, I still don't know how to say it, didn't know how to say it, and didn't know what it meant, it went, why me? Looking at the other three, who am I to be a part of this group? And that was Moses' response. Who am I? Are you sure you got the right person for this? But that brings us finally to the culmination of our month-long series, to God's name. 
Now, the name that we have in here in the Hebrew is Yahweh, which is a name many of us have probably heard before. What we may not know is that Yahweh is a variation of the verb. Moses' name was a variation of the verb to draw out. Yahweh is a variation on the verb Haya, which means literally to be. A more literal translation, which you'll see sometimes in some, in some versions, is I will be who I will be. As we had today is I am who I am. And then when God says, say, I am has sent me to you, you can also translate that as I will has sent me to you. Either way, they're equally cryptic, aren't they? Perhaps this is something that needs some of that re-watching or that re-reading. But here's what I love about it. If we go back over the last month and just out in our lives, remember some of the things we know about names. If we start with Adam naming the animals, giving them an identity and forging that stewardship relationship. Then we had Isaac, meaning he who laughs or he will laugh, giving a path and an identity and foreshadowing, kind of pushing him forward but also paying homage to the story of Abraham and Sarah. Then we had the story of Jacob and Esau, the origin story of the name of Israel, meaning those who wrestled with God and with humans and have persevered. All of these names are giving direction. All of these names are setting expectation and setting parameters. They're all building up a box. For good or bad, they're building up a box. And we do the same thing today with names. In our culture, we do it more likely with titles, that we make inferences and assumptions, but we do it with names too. We hear some names, and just knowing the name, we go, oh, they're probably older because you don't hear that name anymore. Or we go, oh, that's definitely a millennial who named that kid. Or whatever it may be, we have those assumptions with names too. But what God says here with I will or I am God is saying, I am more expansive than you can imagine. And our relationship goes back to the very beginning of your family and your people. But I'm God and you can't put me in a box. And when you follow the story of Scripture as a whole, you see God and the Spirit and Jesus getting continually more and more expansive. The people in the family continues to grow and grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. God started with just one a month ago. Then with the family with more and it's expanding and expanding and expanding. And then we get to the New Testament. We get to the teachings of Christ where it's expanding. We get to the letters of Paul saying, come one, come all. The people of God, the people of the church continually expands. And that is what we are celebrating today on World Communion Sunday. For today is an ecumenical holy day, meaning many different denominations take part in it with a focus that we are all gathering around the same table, that we are all in the same family of faith, that we are not called to be an exclusionary faith to build up walls and tell people you don't belong here, you're not good enough, But we're called to be an inclusive faith, pulling people in, pulling up chairs, saying you are welcome here and you are loved. And we see that when God says, you can't put me in a box. But I'll tell you that I've been with you since the beginning. I'll stay with you now and I will be with you till the end. 
And wherever we are, wherever we gather, whatever it looks like, that place will be holy ground. Amen? Amen.